The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. All right, well, if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open those up or turn those on uh, to Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Well, good morning. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and so if this is your first time, we're going through the book of Acts, and today we're going to cover uh, a couple of chapters because it is a phenomenal story. Uh, Before we get into that, I want you to simply uh, take yourself away in your mind, and I want you to envision for a moment that you're on a road trip, and this road trip uh, you're taking is through uh, the windy hills and the forests of Alaska. How many of you guys love Alaska? Ever been to Alaska? I have not. But I can imagine what that would be like going through these hills, going through uh, these forests. And and I want you to imagine that uh, this road trip you're taking is in the night. It's dark, a little mysterious. The headlights are starting to get covered with fog. You're in a remote area. You start to get tired. You're a little bit hungry. You know you have a long ways to go. And then your car starts giving you some trouble. It starts acting up. Some lights start flashing on the dashboard. And then eventually you start to lose power. Your car dies and you, you, by the grace of God, get it to the side of the road. But you realize that it's in the middle of the night. It's in the middle of nowhere. And you're just hoping and you're wishing and you're praying that someone, anyone, would just simply drive by and see you stopped there helpless. And so you wait. And you wait. And you wait. You wait for what seems to be a really long time and your car still over and over again as you try, it won't turn over. Getting cold. You're getting a little frustrated, a little anxious, a little impatient. And so you decide, you're like, okay, I'm going to take action. And so you, you get your coat on, you bundle up, and you start to head out, and you just simply start walking. You realize the further you walk, the darker it gets. You're walking, and you can't really see anything. You look behind you, and you can't see your car anymore. You look in front of you, and you can't see much of anything. And so you're just simply on the shoulder, just, just walking along, trying to follow the, the little white line. And you know that the the, the moonlight is out, but it's kind of covered with the shadows of the trees that is cast over the road. The further you walk, the darker it gets. And then in a moment, you hear a sound. Sound coming from across the road, and you look, and you can't quite see in the shadows what it is. You look, and then the moonlight sparkles, and you see these two glowing eyes, looking right back at you. You pause and you freeze for a moment. And then over your shoulder, in the opposite direction, you hear this. And then, just a moment, you hear another howl. And another how, and you realize that you are surrounded by wolves. What do you do in that moment? What would you do in that moment? I mean, what direction 
do you go in that moment? You know, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. Over and over again in the scriptures, it tells us that the church is like a flock of sheep. And some of you are thinking, in that moment, I would, I would be tough. Some of you are thinking you're really tough, right? Maybe for a sheep, you're tough. I mean, if I told the story and you were surrounded by sheep, you wouldn't be afraid, you would pet them. And so sheep aren't terrifying. Sheep in this moment are afraid. Jesus is the good shepherd. Christians are like sheep. Uh, Pastors and church leaders are supposed to be like shepherds. And the truth is that there are wolves out there. There are wolves that are surrounding and they, and they listen, they, they run in packs and they're looking to seek and devour and, and, and the first thing they wanna do is they wanna seek and they wanna devour the shepherds. And so the scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus has come for his flock, that he lays down his life for his sheep and in that way wolves surround him, wolves attack him. Uh, wolves look to falsely accuse him and wolves look to crucify him. And so as he, as he promised, he lays down his life for his sheep. And then at the resurrection, Jesus rises and shows that he has victory over every darkness, every form of evil, every, every fang and snarl that exists. He raises from the grave and then he gathers his boys and he gives them the commission to go out like lambs among wolves. He commissions them. He says, I want you to go and I want you to be shepherds. Remember what he says on that shore to the bank of Peter after he denied him, after he turned his back on him? He's like, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Go shepherd my people. Go uh, make followers and disciples and go into all nations. But before Jesus sends them out, he knows that he's sending them like lambs among wolves to the slaughter. But he knows that they're going to need power. So he says, before you go, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what you're going to do is you're going to receive the power in order to be my witnesses. You remember where he said you'll go? You're gonna be my witnesses into Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. But you're gonna, you're gonna need something to go with you. You need, need power in order to do that because there's gonna be wolves that encompass you. So I want you to wait and then you're gonna be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then what happens is the spirit falls and then the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus Christ is proclaimed and repentance, forgiveness of sins, baptism. People are coming to faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And because the name of Jesus is moving with all boldness through these early disciples. It's reaching the hearts of men and women in the city and more and more people are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2 says 3,000 come to faith in one day. 3,000. 
By the end of chapter two, it says day by day, those are being saved. So more people are added every single day to the faith of the name of Jesus Christ. By Acts chapter four, it says the number reached to 5,000. It says more people come to faith. And listen, the more people who come to faith in the name of Jesus Christ, guess what happens? The more the persecution rises. You'll see it over and over again, not only through the Bible, but through history. The more the name of Jesus is proclaimed, the more the persecution arises. And listen to me, the more the persecution arises, the more the gospel spreads. Isn't that good news? So the more that people are coming to faith in Jesus, the more persecution that comes, and the more persecution that comes, the more the gospel spreads. And so the gospel of Jesus moves forward The believers gather, they open the word, they pray for boldness. In Acts chapter four, verse 31, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so with boldness, they continue to speak the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter five, verse 14, it says that more than ever, believers were added to their number, multitudes of men and women coming to faith in Jesus. But when multitudes come to faith in Jesus, what happens? More wolves. More persecution, and the more the wolves rise, the more the gospel spreads. As more people come to faith, the more persecution comes, the more the gospel spreads. In Acts chapter five, the wolves once again arrest the apostles. And at the end of chapter five, you see that they grab them up, why? Because they're proclaiming the name of Jesus, which wolves don't like, and so what happens is they're proclaiming the name of Jesus, they arrest the apostles, they put them into prison, And then in the middle of the night, the Lord comes and breaks them out. An angel of the Lord literally breaks them out of jail and sets them free. Can you imagine that? You're in prison. All of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, you're out of here. You're like, take me with you. But let me ask you, what do you think they did in that moment? You think they ran and hid? You think they go to a cave? You think they go and hide out so they don't get arrested again? No, they go straight back to the temple and guess what they're talking about? Jesus, they get out of prison, they go right back to the temple, they're telling more and more people about Jesus, the council comes in the morning, the people who arrested them, they find that they have miraculously escaped somehow, and then they find them telling people about Jesus again. So they arrest them again. They bring them before the council. In chapter five, verse 28, they say this, I strictly charge you. This is, this is the high priest. This is, this is the council of elders in that Jerusalem. I charge you not to teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and the apostles, they respond like this. Well, we're going to need to obey God and not men. And you know what God says? Tell the world about Jesus. And so he says, listen, I don't know what you need to do, but we're gonna obey God, we're not gonna obey men. Then they preach to the council. Can you imagine that? The people who arrested them for telling them about Jesus, they say, well, thank you for this opportunity to meet before the council. Let me tell you about Jesus. As long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And so what happens is they begin to tell the council about Jesus, but they don't do it lightly. They say, you know what, you're actually the ones that killed Jesus. 
You know, you, you, thought, you thought he was wicked, you thought he was a blasphemous, but rather he was God, he was Lord, he was the Savior. You killed him, uh, God raised Jesus from the dead, he exalted him at the right hand of God, he is Lord, he is Savior, and he offers the forgiveness of your sins through repentance. Come to Jesus, that's what he says to the council. And so in verse 33 of chapter five, it says that this enraged Can you imagine? It enraged them, and it says that they wanted to kill them. Someone steps in and says, I don't know if that's a good idea. I think these are men of God. So instead of killing them, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. Okay, now look at chapter five, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council. What are they doing? Rejoicing. So they just got beaten. They just got told, don't talk about Jesus. But now they leave the council and they're rejoicing and they counted it worthy to suffer this honor for the name. Whose name? The name of Jesus. We, we, oh my goodness, we're rejoicing that, that God would allow us to be beaten for his name. How great is that? You don't hear that preached very often. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not stop. Can you believe it? So they're beaten, right? They're rejoicing, and they go straight back to the temple, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. What they do in the temple overflows to house to house. Imagine that movement. Preaching and teaching Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. They, we just, listen, we just got out of jail. We just got beaten up. But I need to tell you something. Jesus is Lord. And I need you to take that back to your families and your neighborhoods and from house to house, wherever you have breath, you need to tell the world that Jesus is the Christ. And so the church started to grow. Started to grow in the temple. It started to grow from house to house. It did not stop. The flock is growing, the church is growing, the word of God is advancing, the word of God is increasing, and when the word of God increases and when the word of God advances, guess what happens? More wolves, right? And so because the flock, the church, is growing and increasing, the leaders of the church realize, we need more shepherds, there's too many sheep here. And so what they do is because the sheep are increasing, they start appointing more shepherds, more leaders, more deacons, more people to help serve. And in chapter six, the leaders, they appoint other men, and it says that they are full of good reputation. It says that they are full of wisdom, and they are full of the Spirit. Everyone say the Spirit. That's key. Jesus said it's going to be key that you have the Spirit because this gospel must advance. Wolves are going to surround you. What you're going to need is to be full of the Spirit. And one of the men who is appointed, his name is Stephen. And chapter 6, verse 5, says that Stephen was full of faith, say faith, 
and the Spirit. Say the Spirit. It says that Stephen was a particular man who was full of faith and the Spirit. And what we see over the next two chapters is what the Spirit does when the Spirit empowers an ordinary man. An ordinary servant, an ordinary man who is full of faith and full of the Spirit and gives him an extraordinary power. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few things that happens inside someone who is full of faith and the Spirit. Number one, when you're full of faith and the Spirit, there is a commitment to service. There's a commitment to service. Stephen, when he's first introduced, he's a servant. And it's not a glorious role. The apostles were, were serving the church up until this point. And so it's not that the, the apostles were above it. It's not that the preachers were above doing the job. It's just that the job got so overwhelming that they needed more. And so they appointed Stephen, and he's a capable leader. We know he knows the word of God. And in a moment, in the next chapter, we see that he's a dynamic preacher. And so he didn't say, well, I don't know if I can really serve in this capacity. They said, oh, okay, we need you to help the widows. We need you to help serve tables. We need you to help feed people. We need you to help you take care of the flock. And he didn't say, well, that's kind of below my gifts. That's not really my calling. I don't really feel passionate about that area of ministry. Guess what he did? If the Lord wants me there, that's where I'm gonna serve. And so he's a servant he says, he says, listen, it's not about me. It's for the gospel. It's for the church. It's for the name of Jesus. And so listen, there's going to be times in the church that God calls you to serve with your skill. Many of you, all of you, you're skilled in a certain capacity. You say, I've got this skill. I got this thing. I'd like to use this skill for the church. But then there's some of you that serve with your passions. You're like, I'm really passionate about this. I want to see this. I like to uh, uh, be used for this. And you're passionate about it. And some of you, you need to serve in your skill. Some of you need to serve in your passions. And some of you need to serve because there's a need. Period. That the church just needs it. And so Stephen says, whatever you need, it's not about me. It's not about, uh, you know, my exaltation. It's about his exaltation through me, and I'm going to serve. And so in verse 7, what happens is we see that when these men step up and serve in the capacity that God has them, that the word of God advances. Look, and the word of God continued to increase. Say increase. So the word of God increases, and then the number of the disciples multiplied. Say multiplied. Let me pause right there. Okay, Multiplied is different than addition. Addition is one person adding one person. Multiplied is multiple people adding multiple people. Do you see the movement here? And so he says, listen, he says, when I serve, when I offer myself to God, it's not about me. Verse 7, the word of God increases, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The same ones that were in the council that were persecuting them now are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So the word increases, disciples are multiplied. Where are they? Jerusalem. But Jesus said, you're gonna be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what happens when the word of God increases and disciples are multiplied greatly for Jesus Christ, what we see 
is more wolves. Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. So first it was, it was faith and the spirit, but now it's grace and power. Let me tell you something. Those two are synonymous. They go hand in hand. Faith and grace, spirit and power. Right? You're with me on that. He's just redefining it. So Stephen, full of faith, full of the spirit, full of grace, full of power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, that's what it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those in the Sicilia and of Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. These are wolf packs. There's some here and some there and some there, and they all rise up and they start to dispute. Here come the wolves. Each pack has a leader. Each pack has a name. The alphas are leading the pack, and they start to encircle and encompass Stephen in that moment. And so they go after the shepherd. They're going to attack him. They're going to attack a normal, ordinary, natural man who is filled with the Spirit. Look at what happens, verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. Faith, spirit, grace, power, spirit, wisdom. Here it is. With which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council and they set false witness against him. And they said, this man never ceases to speak the words against your holy place and against the law. See here, it's not about Jesus, it's all about church and, and doing moral things about the law. And he says, you're speaking against them for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us and gave at him, and all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. The goal of our adversary is very, very simple. It's to discredit and destroy. Discredit and destroy. Let's get rid of the name of Jesus, even if we have to bring false charges. Whatever it takes, we need to stop this movement. We need to get rid of Jesus. That's the, the plan that is the ploy of the enemy. And, and we're trying to discredit the minister and try to destroy the ministry. That's always been Satan's plot. That's always Satan's plan. And so what they do is they start arguing with Stephen. But they can't win an argument because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He speaks words of truth and wisdom. They're seeking to discredit Stephen by being, bringing a false charge against him, but he defends himself and he holds his ground. Then they turn to false witness and false charges, and they do the same thing to Stephen what they did to Jesus. You remember that? In the middle of the night, they arrest Jesus. They accuse him falsely. They accuse him indirectly. They tell him that he's done things that he's not done. And so in the middle of it all, Stephen like the Lord Jesus, is maintaining his integrity because he's looking to the glory of God and it says that his face was like an angel. And so filled with the Spirit, Stephen preaches his first sermon and his last. Stephen actually gets to preach his own funeral. That's my dream. 
I would love to preach my own funeral. After my wife's, of course, I want to take care of her all the days of her life. But this, this dude, like, like, he is surrounded by wolves. He, 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 he is encompassed by the enemy. They're accusing him. They're saying things about him. And he gets to speak about Jesus. Now, here's what I need you to see. That Stephen wasn't given advance notice before this day. It wasn't like someone came to him and said, hey, in a couple of days, you're going to get to preach before the council, so go ahead and get your notes out. Go ahead and get your outline ready. Go ahead and get everything you know, up and ready to go so that when you have that chance, you can do it. No, Stephen didn't get warning, but the word of God was in his heart. Why? Because he was full of faith and full of the Spirit, and he was ready to go. He knew the Scriptures, and as a result, when the time came, he was prepared and he was ready So number two, when you are full of faith in the spirit, you are prepared to talk about Jesus. Are you prepared to talk about Jesus? Stephen's ready. And what Stephen does in chapter seven is he walks them through almost the entire Old Testament, right? Listen, he... he, He's, he's become a believer. I, I looked it up, and, and scholars say that there's about two years from Acts chapter two to now. So this guy, I mean, he's not been a Christian super long, but he's invested, he's full of faith, he's full of the spirit, and he says, okay, here's my chance. I'm gonna tell people about Jesus. Stephen is ready, and he walks them through the Old Testament, and he's leading everything to the person and the work of Jesus. So let me be very clear with you right now. You can know the Bible, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Bible. You, you can know Jesus and know the Bible and understand the Bible through Jesus, but you can know the Bible, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Bible. Jesus actually himself said that he came to fulfill the scriptures on multiple occasions. You have Jesus walking with his disciples, opening the word of God to them and telling them how everything from the prophets to Moses to the Psalms, everything is about him. And they're amazed, their hearts were open, their ears were open, their minds were open, and they see Jesus in all of the Bible. John chapter five, verse 38 and 39, he says, you diligently study the scriptures thinking that in them you will have eternal life. He's talking to the religious scholars. He says, okay, you, you search the scriptures and you think that in them you have eternal life, but you fail to recognize that the scriptures are actually all about me. That's what Jesus says. He says, listen, you can know the Bible, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Bible. The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. They knew the Bible, but they didn't know Jesus. And so what Stephen is going to do is he's going to tell them about the Bible full of the Spirit and how all of the Bible is pointing toward Jesus. And he starts with Abraham. This is the longest sermon in the book of Acts, and it's preached by an ordinary man, not an apostle. He just breaks it down for him. I'm not gonna go through all of it, but he, he starts with Abraham, and he says, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. You know Abraham? Yeah. Well, that ends in Jesus Christ. And then he moves on to Joseph. He says, don't you see, Joseph was hated and despised and betrayed by his brothers, ultimately thrown into a hole in the ground left for dead. And what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And so what happened was Joseph rose up from the hole to a great place of leadership and prominence, and God used Joseph's life to save many. 
Stephen says, in the same way, Jesus was betrayed by his own brothers. He was thrown into the hole once he died, and then he came out of the hole, and his life now rules and reigns, and his life is given to save many. Jesus looks in their eyes and says, listen, you betrayed me, you murdered me, but I love you. It's been for good. You meant for evil. God turns it around. And then he tells the story of Moses. And he says, remember how the people were in slavery in Egypt and they were under oppression and they were far from home and Pharaoh ruled over them like a cruel taskmaster and how God raised up a man named Moses who was a prophet of God and then he came and he rebuked Pharaoh and he called him to repentance and yet the more he called him to repentance, the more he hardened his heart and then ultimately God through a miraculous supernatural signs delivered the people from bondage and led them into freedom and worship Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus crumbs and he sets us free from our sin, from our bondage, from our slavery, and leads us into the presence of God so that we would live free and worship Jesus. His sermon is all about Jesus. That's my point. Abraham's about Jesus. Israel's about Jesus. Patriarchs, all about Jesus. Exodus is about Jesus. Moses is about Jesus. Joseph is about Jesus. David is about Jesus. Solomon is about Jesus. The temple is about Jesus. The priesthood is about Jesus. It's all about, it's all about Jesus. And so Stephen, an ordinary common man, full of faith, full of the spirit, shows them how everything is about Jesus. Stephen is a good shepherd and he's preaching his funeral, and he makes his own funeral all about Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And then, in this kind of momentous occasion as he's preaching, guess who shows up? The good shepherd himself, Jesus. Look in chapter 7, verse 51. I love how he ends this. He says, you stiff-necked people. That's a term we need to start using. You stiff-necked people. You're uncircumcised in your heart and ears. That is a, that is a blast to their, to, their, to their claim, their status. You're uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be stiff-necked. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, don't you see the truth about Jesus? Don't you see the call of Jesus? Don't you see the life of Jesus? Don't you see the resurrection of Jesus? Don't you see how Jesus wants to use you? And you stiffen your neck and you harden your heart and you close your ears. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. Because you resist the Holy Spirit and so did your fathers and so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And, they, and, and which one? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's a capital R, capital O, righteous one. That's Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. He lays the murder of Jesus on them. And he says, you received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. I just told you the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. He says, you stiff-necked people. God uses this word stiff-necked often through the scriptures. It's, it's, it's a reference to, to uh, like this hardness of this pull of God. 
I know we've got I know we've got some horse people out here. I know Tessa, Alexa, you guys work with horses all the time. But but have you ever have you ever tried to lead a, a horse that doesn't want to go that way? What is the, what does the horse do in that moment? Right? It's a stiff neck. You're trying to pull. God is trying to pull, and you're resisting by stiffening your neck and saying, I'm not going that way. I'm not going after Jesus. I like the law. I like religion. I like a workspace righteousness. I like my own uh, Christian status that it brings me. I'm not laying down at the foot of the cross. And so you stiffen your neck. For all you suburban people, it's like walking your dog on a leash and he sees a bunny. You don't work with the horses, that's the best I can do for you. Right? What is the dog? He stiffens his neck. He says, no, I'm not going that way. And so, so, listen, you can go through all of your religious rituals. You can go through your whole life doing church external, not internal. And if it's only external and not internal, then you're hard in your heart, you stiffen your neck, you've closed your ears, and you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Are you resisting the Spirit when he leads you? I'm not talking about Jesus in this place. I'm not talking about the Lord here. I might, I might offend somebody. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. It scares me. You need faith, filling of the Spirit. Look in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. He says, listen, you're resisting the Holy Spirit because you're resisting Jesus. When you resist Jesus, you resist the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is all about leading you to Jesus. He says, you stiffen your neck against Jesus, you harden your heart against Jesus, and it says that at this, at this preaching, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I don't know what that's like, that's probably like growling. The wolves, they're growling at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and say, stop talking about Jesus. And they stopped their ears and they all rushed together and stopped him. And they cast him out of the city and then they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. And Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. These were Stephen's final words, which mimic the final words of Christ. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen's on his knees, and the wolves have encircled him. The wolves have come for him, and the wolves are lashing out at him. The wolves are stoning him. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. They argue with Jesus, they can't win. They accuse Jesus, nothing sticks. 
They accuse him falsely. It doesn't discredit him. And so Jesus, in order to keep him quiet, they need to kill him. Same goes for Stephen. Stephen's on his knees. Rocks are flying at him. There's an alpha leader of all of the packs, and his name is Saul. And Saul says, he's the one. And so the men, they take off their coats like, 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 like pitchers from a bullpen. Oh, you Cardinal fans, right? What's the first thing the pitcher does in the bullpen to warm up? Throws off his coat. Taking off my jacket. I got to get warm. I take off my coat so I can throw this, this rock as hard and as fast as I can because I'm enraged at the words that are coming out of this mouth. They throw off their coats. They put them at the feet of Saul. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Saul approved the execution. There was Stephen, faced like an angel, filled with the Spirit, praying for his enemies, forgiving like Jesus. Father, forgive them. Jesus says the same thing from the cross. So filled with faith in the Spirit, you forgive your enemies and pray for those to be saved. Number three, when you're filled with faith in the Spirit, it leads you to preaching and praying. Preaching and praying. You're like, well, I'm not a preacher. Neither was Stephen. He had the word in his heart. He had the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and he took it. He's teaching about Jesus. He's praying that people would meet Jesus and Jesus the good shepherd shows up. So when wolves come around to ravage and devour the flock, Jesus puts himself in the middle and so does Stephen. Oftentimes we don't look up until it really hurts, amen? We're just so busy. We're just so, so looking at the white line trying to just find our way down the dark road. But where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Where does my help come from in a time of need? We look up and we see Jesus there. So when you are full of faith in the Spirit, we look and we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's number four. When you're full of faith in the Spirit, you look to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How do you view Jesus? Because if you think of Jesus as some 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 pagan, some, some good teacher, some, some, some man who just had some good thoughts but wasn't God in the flesh and wasn't exalted into glory. If you don't see Jesus as resurrected, you don't see Jesus as Lord, you don't see Jesus as mighty, you don't see Jesus as Savior, you don't see Jesus in all of his glory, you don't see Jesus as he judges and executes and lives perfectly, the one who knows all and does all and holds all. If you don't see Jesus as that guy, if you don't see Jesus with good clarity, you will not venture out into the wolves. You will endure very little for the name of Jesus. Stephen had clarity, which gave him boldness through faith in the Spirit. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved his execution. This is going to get crazy, y'all. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Now, we know that when persecution rises, what happens? The gospel moves forward. So as the gospel moves forward, people come to faith in Jesus, persecution rises. As persecution rises, the gospel advances. Listen to what it says. 
On that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they, everyone say they, they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Uh-oh, that was the plan. You gotta get out of Jerusalem. You gotta go move forward. You gotta get out of your comfort zone. You gotta get out of these walls and you gotta go tell people about Jesus. And so what God does is he brings persecution so that you would actually do it. You'd actually do it. So listen, watch this. Great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except who? Except the apostles. Common, ordinary, blue collar, white collar, working class men and women say, we're out. All except the apostles. God uses the persecution of the church to spread the name of Jesus to all nations. Jesus said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen to me, the gospel will not move forward out of the church of Jerusalem until the persecution comes. People fled, they ran, they're scattered, except for the gospel teachers except for the preachers. Everyone leaves, everyone's scattered, except for the preachers. The leaders and the shepherds, they don't scatter, they hold their grounds. Why? That's what shepherds do. You know who the shepherds are because when the wolves come, they don't run, they fight. Oftentimes you don't know who the sheep or the shepherds are until the wolves show up. The wolves show up, the shepherds fight, the sheep run. The sheep scattered, the shepherds stay. The Holy Spirit has given them a heart of God as the good shepherd, and so they love the sheep, and they stay and they fight. Look in verse three. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house as he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This word ravaging, I looked it up. This word ravaging comes from the name of what happens when a wolf gets in the sheep pen. It's ravaging, it's deadly, it's bloodthirsty, it's ugly. The, the, the wolves, they don't stop with just one sheep and drag that one sheep off. They kill all the sheep they can. And yet in the face of persecution, the gospel moves forward through ordinary people, extraordinary power, serving, preaching, praying, and suffering for the sake of the gospel. All because God used a man full of faith and the spirit, whose name was Stephen, who was an ordinary common man who said, I'll just serve the church however it's necessary. And when it was time, he stood up and he proclaimed the name of Jesus and he took rocks to the head for it and he asked God to forgive those who throw the rocks at him. And so in one generation, through this movement, hear me, in one generation, the church grew to 400 times the size it was when it started. How does that even happen? Look in verse four. Now those who were scattered, who was scattered? Everyone except the apostles. Those who were scattered went about doing what? 
preaching the word. They just start preaching. They start going. They're like, persecutions in that city. We'll go to the next city. We'll go to Judea. We'll go to Samaria. We'll go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter. We can't stop talking about Jesus Christ. Ordinary people, empowered by an extraordinary spirit, proclaimed the name of Jesus everywhere they went. Do you see a theme here? It wasn't the apostles. Unidentified. Unidentified followers of Jesus, common men and women, first took the name of Jesus to Judea. Philip takes the name of Jesus to Samaria. It was unnamed believers who started churches in the surrounding regions. Some of you, you need to be church planters. You need to be disciple makers. You need to be preaching proclaimers. You need to be the ones that go and tell the world about Jesus. And so it wasn't the apostles, it was common men. They take the name of Jesus everywhere they went. Every day, people had been changed by Jesus. Sheep, empowered by faith. Sheep, empowered by the Spirit. They grow on a daily basis. The move of God continues to proclaim Jesus everywhere. The gospel moves through full faith and the Spirit by denying self and looking to Jesus. Let me paint this picture for you. Chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria proclaiming the Christ Chapter 9, verse 31, the church throughout all of Judea and all of Galilee and all of Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Everyone say multiplied. Who's there? The apostles? No. Common dudes telling the world about Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 42, 46, it says, all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised had come with Peter and were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Common people you don't think would have faith, common people who are not religious, common people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Who? All that were scattered. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. In chapter 16, it says that more people, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Everyone say daily. Every day more people were coming to faith. Now this is radical because in chapter 19, verse 10, it says this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, how many people you think live in Asia? It says all the people who live in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How does that happen you it's you filled with faith filled with the spirit you make that happen when God's people are truly full of faith and don't just play church God's people are full of the spirit Don't just pretend to be religious. God uses them. He multiplies them. That happens. You and I will not just simply be associated with casual Christianity. We'll not be associated with 
casual church activities or services. Instead, we would be known as the family that has complete abandonment to Jesus Christ and his name and his cause and his glory. The Great Commission will no longer be received with a stiff neck. The Great Commission to go into all the world to tell people your transformed story, to tell people what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and the word of God would permeate through you. We don't ever receive that any longer with a stiff neck. We don't see it as a choice to consider, but rather a call to obey. And we say, like I say, here I am, Lord, send me. Well, who will listen? No one. Go anyway. Who should I tell? Everybody. And although wolves may be surrounding you in the face of trial in the name of Jesus, persecution in the name of Jesus will rise, surely the experience of unimaginable joy would well up and we would look to the heavens and we would see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the Son of Man, and he would join us in this mission, in this call that he's given us. I so desperately want to be a part of a movement like that. I want to be a part of a people who say, no matter what, I want to tell the world about Jesus because he's the only hope. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only truth. He's the only righteousness, and we need him. We want to spread the gospel. People who are willing to sacrifice pleasures and pursuits and the possessions of this world and even comfort in the face of rocks so that we would see the eternal move of God, so that it would be said that the name of Jesus multiplied. Multiplied out of this temple, out of this church, and house to house, city to city, nation to nation, and all the earth would have heard the name of Jesus Christ because someone in this place would be full of faith and the Spirit and be willing to go. And listen, that kind of movement involves every one of us. And you say, well, I haven't taken a class on that. We need faith and the Spirit. We ask God who gives both, who sends both. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. The wolves come if they want. They can put us to death. The gates of hell will not prevail. The band comes. We get ready to respond. I want to just bring your attention to the truth that God created everything. You realize that? Some of you are like, yeah, I know that. Do you realize that God sustains everything? Do you realize that God holds everything together? Do you realize that God is the one, that Jesus is the one that paves your path? That Jesus is the one that holds your world together, your life together? Eric, how, how, how can you say that? How do, you, how do you know? You don't know my situation. Well, here's the truth. Jesus, in the beginning, created. From him, all things were created. Through him, all things hold together. That's what Colossians says. Jesus is the one who used Moses to rescue people. Jesus is the one who parted the sea. Jesus is the one that opened the wombs of the barren. Jesus is the one that, that provides water from rocks and manna from heaven. 
Jesus is the one that brought down the walls of Jericho. Jesus is the one that claims victory over all things. Jesus is the one who stopped the sun temporarily from moving to give the army some victory. Jesus is the one who brought fire from heaven when it was called out by the prophet. Jesus is the one who shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was thrown into the den. Jesus is the one that gives victory to David with a few stones over a giant. Jesus is the one who fed thousands of people with some loaves and a fish. Jesus is the one who calms the storms. Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes. Jesus is the one that heals the lame. Jesus is the one that makes the deaf hear. Jesus is the one that makes the mute walk. Jesus is the one who raises the dead to life. He overcame death. Jesus defeated sin for you and for me. And his sacrificial death and his resurrection is proof that he is over all things. And here's the promise that he gives those of us who believe. The greater the spirit that is in you is that he is in the world. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Why? So we can go to church? So you can tell the world about Jesus, look up, see him, exalted, high, and lifted, and holy. The same spirit that he gave to Stephen to proclaim as he's encompassed by worlds is the same spirit that lives in you. So in light of who Jesus is, what are you afraid of? When you hear the howl in the darkness, when you see the eyes looking back at you, What are you afraid of? Because Jesus is with you. He loves you. And to live is Christ. And to die is gain. We would just have faith like that. Even when every rock is thrown, howl is made, we pray that the name of Jesus will echo for eternity in the hearts and the lips of those who are full of faith of the Spirit. Pray for that. Lord Jesus, I see a lot of stares back at me this morning thinking, I don't know about my past. I like my night. I like my morning coffee. I like my comfort. I like my peace. I like the traditions that I've created for myself. I like that I go to church on Sundays and throughout the week I do my own thing. Lord, you see our hearts. You see it in our eyes. Most of all, you see it in our lives. God, the shepherd of this church, I ask that you would forgive us for all the ways that we've neglected, stiffened our neck, the call of God that you've placed upon us to be empowered proclaimers of your greatness. Lord, today we repent of all the excuses. Today we repent of all the busyness. 
today we repent of all the priorities that we've placed above beyond you. Jesus, help us see. Help us see that this life is like a vapor. Here for a moment. Help us see, oh God, that you have placed us, gifted us with life and breath and salvation in your name. Help us see that as the greatest treasure and the greatest hope that anyone and everyone should know that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. That Jesus seeks and he saves the lost. That Lord, even, even priests that were against you came to faith. Oh God, today, oh God, would you awaken our souls? Would you open our ears? Would you unstiffen our necks? So that we wouldn't just see this as a... As a as a task or a, a job, but we would see it as great joy. That your spirit would be the fire that burns so that we would tell the world, Jesus is alive. Jesus is good. Jesus saves. They all come to Jesus. Oh, bring us stiff-necked and all to see your throne and your grace and fill us, O oh God, great faith, your Holy Spirit. O oh Jesus, you are the one that leads us. We look to you, our good, good shepherd. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. We say, if you're here today, you've never repented of sin, you've never given your life to Jesus, then today is your day. All the scripture says is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you just write where you are? If you've never done this, just call on the name of Jesus. He hears you, he knows you, he will forgive you, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness you're not sure how that happens or how that takes place or, or even what to say, we have prayer partners in the back that would love to pray for you. If you're going through a situation where you feel like you're encompassed by a situation or a scenario that you can't seem to get out of and, and you just need help putting your eyes on Jesus, we've got prayer partners in the back. But right now, I'm gonna invite you. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. Let us be reminded that Jesus is our victor and he wants to use us for his glory no matter what. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me be your pastor.